You're listening to 2, 5, and 10, your source for bullshit-free NHL news, analysis, and insights. Now, here are your hosts, Kevin Naughton and Ben Stewart. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. 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 Yeah. Let it bump, though. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 62 of 2510. Benny, your boys across the river got pretty busy. Uh, I guess probably the worst kept secret in hockey, but Taylor Hall on the move. He had a trade that everybody knew was going to happen. Happened, I think, a little bit earlier than people expected over the summer. But he is out to the desert in Arizona, and the Devils will be even worse off than they were already with Hall on a roster, if you can believe that. Yeah, the turnaround seemed very interesting. I know there was a lot of teams in the mix, and then you keep reading the headlines that this team no longer in, this team no longer in. Uh, how do you feel about what they ended up getting in the hall for hall? I, I guess that's <laughs> I guess that's a bad uh, synonym, anomaly, metaphor, whatever you want to call it. But what do you think the return was? How do you think Arizona? I mean, Arizona paid a steep price with those three prospects. Like th- those kids are. One was a first rounder. The other one was a second. The other one was a third. But they've all been point producers. So I, I'm just interested to get your take on this. Yeah. So the whole trade officially is Taylor Hall and Blake Spears to Arizona for uh, defenseman Kevin Ball and wingers Nick Merkley and Nate and well Nate Schnarr is the center uh, currently and then a first round pick that is protected if it's top three which is likely not going to happen the way Arizona is playing this year and then a conditional uh, third round pick in 2021 and we can get into the conditions on that pick if that is at all interesting to you. But uh, for me, the prospects that came back in a deal, I mean, they're okay, I guess. Like, Merkley has been dealing with injury issues ever since his draft year. He's, I think, his third year out from the draft, and he has played only a handful, if that, of NHL games for a team, the Coyotes, that have been just looking to uh, promote young, homegrown, and cheap talent the last half decade, so that's a red flag to me. Uh, Kevin Ball, Ball, however you want to say his last name, he's 6'7", like 220 pounds. He skates good, skates good for a guy his size, um, but from everything I've been seeing and reading, he has little puck skills. He's more of a old-school stay-at-home defenseman who has decent wheels for a guy his size, so I don't think that's a top-pairing guy. He may not even be a top-four guy. And Nate Schnarr, he's scoring well uh, where he is now. But, again, they kind of project him to be a third-line center max um, if he makes it to the NHL. So it's kind of a – they're scratching off three different lottery tickets. So they went for the quantity over quality in my mind. The picks help, obviously, having two first-round picks uh, in this year's draft and potentially two high picks in next year's draft help the rebuild. But – Ray Shero hasn't drafted all that well since coming over to New Jersey as a new GM, so who knows if that's going to be as successful as they hope it to be. Uh, but for me, yeah, it's just I'd rather they have... I know Hall was traded in the infamous one-for-one one with Adam Larson, but I'd rather have taken one of their uh, top two prospects out of Arizona, one-for-one, one, than just three solid prospects and hoping one of them kind of takes off after the deal. I don't know. I was looking at all three of them, and Schnarr is uh, there's something there. Um, last year in golf ends up with 102 points in 65 games. That that's almost a point and a half a game. That, that that's pretty good. But the numbers before that kind of make you look twice because it's like you look at 16, 17, and in 54 games he ends up having 36 points. The year after, 17-18, 57 games, has 39 points. And then in 65 games last year, just completely 
oh, I'm sorry, that was 1819. Uh, but at 65 games last year, goes 102 points, like completely takes off. Why is that? I mean, was it because he was in his last year of junior and kind of overpowering guys? Or did he finally hit it in stride? Currently this year down in Tucson, 22 games in, one goal, eight assists for nine points. I mean, half a point a game his first year transition-wise, not bad. But I'm sure they're wondering as to what it is that got him to that 102 points the year before. I'm with you with yeah. the, the big fella on the defensive end. He gets some points, though. He's very sneaky assist-wise, so I'm very curious to see how he will uh, end up panning out, whether he'll be kind of a middle-of-the-road kind of guy in the sense that he can kind of get you some points, or if he is going to turn into that nasty, old-school kind of guy. He, he seems like he's a cusp-line guy, but for a guy six seven who can move, intriguing, needless to say. What was the guy in Ottawa, Ben Harper? Ben Harper, yeah. Yeah, so I think that's his floor, which is kind of a serviceable top six, top seven defenseman. I think he'll be better than that, obviously. But, uh, yeah, I'll I'll always take a chance on a six, seven defenseman that can skate. I think anybody in this league would. <laughs> I mean, maybe Ray Shero just trying to restock after uh... – he got rid of Santini. He ends up going to Nashville in that P.K. Subban deal, maybe yeah. just trying to get some size back, a little bit of grit. Merkley, I'm with you. He's been hurt. He hasn't played not even close to a full season since he's been drafted. Only one game with the Coyotes. Now coming over here is, can he stay away from the injury bug? That That's probably the biggest thing. So you can actually see what this kid's made of. Because in his time in Tucson in the AHL, He's about a half a point to a point a game player when he's there. And I I know just speaking from the past on just rehab and injury, A, they take a toll on you physically, but B, mentally, and then trying to be in the lineup, out of the lineup, I'm there, I was producing, and now I'm kind of not like, that must be one of the hardest things to do as a player. So maybe new face, new place, he can stay healthy, but like, yeah, I'm interested to see if he could crack this lineup and end up being in it and seeing what he can actually do at the NHL level. If he can't crack the Devils lineup, then he's not going to make it in the league. So, I mean, you've seen we've seen before where guys who have been injury prone to start their careers kind of get their stock drops considerably, and then they get uh, moved to a different organization and they kind of find their way. So. Like I said, it's a lottery ticket. And, and I know Hall is a free agent at the end of the year. I know the Devils retain 50% of his salary, which probably helped facilitate getting a little bit more in return. But I don't know. Even though I said previously Taylor Hall isn't somebody that like, scares me as somebody who is a former MVP or on a level of a Mitch Marner or Austin Matthews or Patrick Kane, to still only get this is kind of like what my holdup is. Like this is the best that the Devils could get right now, but um, yeah, it's just for me underwhelming for a guy of Hall's reputation, I guess, around the league. Even though he's an upcoming free agent. On the other end, speaking of the Coyotes and their return for Hall, how do you feel now looking at their lineup, putting Taylor Hall in there with Phil Kessel, Stepan Schmaltz? You got the young kids there and Clayton Keller and Fisher and Garland. Like, do they scare you a little bit in the West? I mean, they should be scaring people already, even before this deal, because of their uh, perch atop the Pacific Division as we enter the new year. So they're for real out in Arizona. And I know both of us were fans of uh, theirs before the season started. But yeah, you have, first of all, the instant boost is when Hall comes back is their power play. Um, they have plenty of guys to put up front in a power play. Hall has been a prolific power play producer over the course of his career. Kessel has got had gotten off to a slow start with the Coyotes, so maybe this gets him going a little bit where teams can't just solely focus on him. Uh, but yeah, you look at their top six. You have Stepan as a first-line center. You kind of have that 2A with uh, Dvorak and Soderberg. But then you have Hall and Kessel on the wings. You have Smoltz on the right side, Keller 
I love Lawson Krause on the third line. Um, and then you have Grabs. Uh, Michael Grabner is still there playing third, fourth line minutes. So up front, they're very solid. I like what they have in goal, even though Ronta is hurt again. Um, defense is kind of where my concern is. Just a lot of either young guys who are gaining experience or kind of like top four or five defensemen playing top three minutes uh, for the Coyotes because they're kind of caught in between of rebuilding their defensive uh, top six with prospects. So if that's if there's one week of stuff on a team, I would say defense and any injuries that might occur. But I think this is going to get Kessel going. So you're basically making acquiring two top six swingers because Kessel wasn't really doing much for them the first two, three months of the year. Looking back a couple of years ago when John Chaco was named the GM there in Arizona, I don't think people really know what to expect it coming from a guy who basically just ran a website, was a big analytics guy, and seeing what happened, made all these moves, made all these changes. And now you look at the team and you're like, this guy knows what he's doing, not just yeah. the numbers guy, can can figure it out too. So very yep. intriguing as to uh, wh- can he take them to the promised land? And a- another thing just you know, curiosity or what I think on your end is, do you think Hall may resign here? Just looking around at that lineup. I know currently at the end of this year, not going to be too much cap space. Uh, People are kind of locked up for a little bit, but I mean, Carl Soderberg at the end of the year, UFA at four, seven, five, you can get him off the books. Um, on the back end, no one really, UFA is going to be gone. No, Ronta still has next year, too, so they still they're got him for one him. more. Uh, do you think so? Yeah, they're going to trade him. Do you think they get something back significant? And I only say it just because, like, will they hold him for the year? Do you think it'll be a summer trade? Like, I'm just curious because I know that Darcy Kemper has taken the reins there, absolutely. They have their one, their 1A. But do you just think in the back of his mind, it's like one of those things like, God forbid I trade him and then Kempfer gets hurt? Yeah, I mean, that's always the risk. But I think even though he's been injury prone, that which would kind of subdue his market, you look at a team like San Jose, even though they're in a division, or you look at a team like the Devils, or a team like, uh, I know, again, it's in a division of a Calgary and Edmonton with goaltending issues, or Columbus, would they? Would you not give up a prospect in the second-round pick, even if it's a high second-round pick and a pretty good prospect for a goaltender who you think we can get 50, 55 starts out of him a year at quality starts and then kind of fill that hole for our team? Oh, I mean, if, if you need goaltending, a la the San Jose Sharks, you find a way to make it work. Um. Yeah, very, uh, I don't know. I don't know where he goes. But We I, were I talking guess... about last week, though, if he wants to find a spot that is not in a full rebuild, is kind of off the beaten path in a hockey world where he doesn't have to deal with massive media, playing in Canada again, uh, Canada again and still gets paid. He was already there. <laughs> he was already there, but then you look at a place like Arizona, if they can afford him, and he enjoys his time with the Coyotes, that sounds like a pretty solid spot for him, too. But who knows if he even wants to stay there. Maybe he does want to go to a big market uh, to help his kind of reputation around the league. So we'll see. Are you surprised he ended up in Arizona? Did you think he was going to actually end up going anywhere else? Or I thought he was going to go to Montreal. I thought that's why they've been saving all that space. They've been drafting well. They haven't been making any big moves. Was kind of Bergevin picking a spot. And they have price and gold. They're solid on the back end. They're solid up front, but they don't have that true top-line game-breaker. And I thought Hall was that guy for them, especially without the long-term commitment. All right, fair enough. Will you want to try to surprise me? I, I thought Florida was in it for sure just with uh... – when they drafted Spencer Knight, now they got Bobrovsky tied up for all those mm. years. I, I thought New Jersey looking for a goaltender that might have been the spot, but Colorado. But I, I let's say in the Pacific Division, let's go to uh, the crumbling crew out in L.A. with uh, Kovalchuk's 
apparent uh, termination of his contract. That place right now is just a dumping ground. Like, you hear about certain people who end up in L.A. for, they're like, you can't beat this place, the weather. That turnaround after the cups and where it's left this team, and then with some of the contracts that they have, and now we end up at Kovalchuk. This year and next year, between Kovalchuk, Mike Richards, and Dion Phaneuf, they have $11 million in cap space in the three of them. That is insanity. Like, how can you rebuild a team with that? You can't. And it amazes me that Todd McClellan went there. I Like, I, I don't even know what to say about that place right now. The, they the, caught in between. There's no in between. <laughs> like, you're already in cap hell. Like, you look at some people where they're like, oh, I can put this on long-term IR. It doesn't hit the cap. All these terminations and buyouts are on the cap. Yeah. They can't shift that anywhere. So it's like, whatever your cap is, you you take $11 million off the top. So you can't even bring anybody in. In the NHL, $11 million will get you a couple of things. It could get you, A, a very good player, B, a combination of two really good players, C, three decent guys like that is insane to me and to think that listen rob blake as a player was incredible maybe gm is not his thing yeah i just he was one of my guys that i predicted in the preseason would be gassed rob blake just because of how this transition's going how there's nothing in the pipeline and where they are and then you add this to the mix. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, I mean, what I ran by in between is they half-assed the rebuild, and I know they wanted to get younger, and they started shedding contracts, quote unquote, like Richards and Fanuff, but hasn't really left their cap officially. But then they put themselves in a position where they can't, like you just laid out can't go out and improve their team through free agency or taking on contracts and trades because of the cap situation. So they kind of, they really fucked themselves over by not just blowing it all up like the Rangers did, blowing it all up like the Penguins did back in the day. They wanted to kind of get cute with it and think, oh, this will be a quick turnaround. And because of that, it's going to double, triple the amount of time it's going to take to get back into Stanley Cup contender status. Like they should have traded Brown. They should have traded Quick. They should have traded Kopitar. They should have traded Carter. Even if that meant eating some of the money for cap purposes. You needed to get those contracts off the books, get younger, and get some youth in the system. Now, they basically committed to Dowdy. They've committed to Kopitar. Nobody's going to trade for Jeff Carter. Nobody's going to trade, really, for Jonathan Quick unless you basically give give him for free or take nothing in return. So who are you going to trade now? Nobody wants Brown and his contract, unless you eat a lot of that, because now he's two, three years older. And you can't buy him out because you're already 11 on the cap. Can't buy him out. So who's your biggest trade ship now? Tyler Toffoli? Yeah, but even then, he's UFA at the end of the year. So exactly. it's like, you, you ship him at the deadline, what do you get, a pick? Sweet. Awesome. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is going to be a half a decade like another five years for them to turn this around because you look at their lineup. Like Kyle Clifford is still playing for why? I know he's like a good guy in a room. I know he plays physical and protects the guys, but that's somebody that's valued at the trade line two years ago. He shouldn't be on it, King's Ross right now. Like you look at the young guys in the lineup. Who do they really have that's rid- like up front? Who do they really have that's going to be coming up and playing well? I know Ayafalo's played well, Kempe's played well, but they're not like top line, top six consistent producers. They're more like nice role players. So you have basically gutted your team. You fired your coach. You committed to a half-assed rebuild, and now you're sitting here three years later, and you still are kind of like figuring it out. That's been my problem with them all along. I... I honestly, like, I don't even know where they go from here. Like, Florida, 
sucks fan wise, but you want to talk about like complete dumpster fire here. Here it <laughs> yeah. is. Granted, there are a couple of things that look good for them. You have Velarde down in the minors there. I think he's going to be a really good player. I feel like he's been in the minors for like 10 years now. No, he, I know. I'm just no. saying, like, that's how long it's been waiting for this guy to, like, really stick in the league. <laughs> and outside of that, I mean, you got Cal Peterson in that. I, I think he's a great goalie, but. Ugh. Yeah. And for Kovalchuk, he played 17 games this year. He had nine points. Basically was a zero uh, for them. He's on. Because he signed his contract as a 35-plus player, 35 years old, his full cap hit is still going to count against the Kings cap this year and next year, like you said, $6.25 million. And he's giving up almost $5 million in salary by accepting this termination. So he's a free agent. Any team that signs him, though, whatever money they give him, it's going to be league minimum at this point, like less than a mil. But whatever he gets... If that team lets go of that of him as well, that's stuck to their cap no matter what because he's over 35. He has a lucrative offer to return back to the KHL. It's on a table already, but he says he prefers the NHL. Dude, like, just bringing this back around. Are the Bruins interested at league minimum for the remainder of the year? Just give it a shot. Yes, but I, I was talking about this earlier. Yes, for league minimum and for the rest of the year. I know Don Sweeney, when he came back, we were one of the teams at the end, but he ultimately decided on L.A. Sweeney would have paid him what L.A. paid him, and that scares me. Going at it the other way, I mean, you hear all these things about Kovalchuk, the shit that happened with the Devils. He ends up taking the money, and then he goes to Russia. You hear he's a bit of a cancer. We don't have any Russians on the Bruins team. And not to make it sound like different or anything, but if he comes over here and he doesn't have anyone to mesh with or blend with, is that going to be a problem for him? I don't know. Yeah. On the flyer part of it, for league minimum for the rest of the year, send that shit. Like, <laughs> if right you're... Shop with oh, yeah. Like, put him with Krejci and see if anything happens. Worst comes to worst, he's on a league minimum. Who gives a shit? End of the year, you know, part ways. Yeah, But if you're telling me that we could get some of the old Ilya Kovalchuk on that right wing and then Danton Heine could actually stay on the third line, I think that's great. I also think about the future and certain things that can happen. Hypothetical. Ilya Kovalchuk signs with the Bruins, absolutely lights it up. Now he wants to get paid a little more and he wants to stay here a little bit longer. You okay. got to let him go. You got to let him go. Or what if you're like, you know what? For what you played, we'll give you two years. We'll, mm. we'll figure out the number after. That's now, where the Kings fucked up, man. The multi-year deals. The Rangers were interested in him as well, but they didn't want to go past one year. But now, so say if you, you go to put him on for a couple of years. All right. The question I have is this. If that old Ilya Kovalchuk comes back in the producing sense, where you have the crazy Russian, but he's putting up all these points and numbers, he's able to get it done, revives David Krejci a little bit, Jake DeBrusque is up. Do you throw Jake DeBrusque out there in a trade somewhere to hopefully kind of restock the cupboard in a sense? Because it would only be for a couple of years. You have Kovalchuk producing. Worth it? Not worth it? I don't know. I, I know he's up for money. I'm sure someone would give something for him, but just random things that pop into my head as to whether you should, whether you shouldn't. It, it's scary. I, I would do what I said before, just rest of the year league minimum. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking to trade DeBrusque to restock the system, you're hoping to get a player like Jake DeBrusque back. So I think... You commit to a guy like that before you commit to Kovalchuk for his age 37 and 38 season. Um, I mean, he hasn't been a producer in the NHL since 2011-2012. And I know he went to Russia and he played okay over there. Like, 
a point per game player essentially in a KHL, but again, it's the KHL. He's 36, like Father Time's undefeated. So I don't know if it's a change of scenery at this point because he wanted to go to LA. All of last year, for the most part, he got his top six minutes. I know he didn't like Desjardins as a coach, but like I think that ship has sailed. Even if he goes to a team like Boston and they have that spot on the right side, on the second line, and they'll give him power play time, I don't know if he would produce. And even if he does, I think you just count your lucky stars, take the production at the end of the year, and wish him well on his next adventure. Just, just hope it works. Yeah, just hope you get lightning in a bottle for three, four months. Oh, fuck. <laughs> um, I know you wanted to talk about the uh, Faraby uh, hit and suspension uh, that just got handed down three games to Faraby of the Flyers for that really just vicious uh, hit on a defenseless Matthew Perot of the Winnipeg Jets the other night. The fact that Faraby, who first originally gets brought to the box and then they come in and tell him it's a major and you're out of the game. The fact that he looks surprised to me is fucking ridiculous. Yeah. He complete he's the puck is on the half wall and he smokes this guy behind the net. Like the puck's not even close. We're, we're talking three, four seconds later. And three games to me for something that's complete blindside. The, the only thing that maybe saved him was that he didn't hit Perot in the head. Yeah. But even then, that check was vicious. Like, there was no part. Like, the puck's not there. You're completely late. The guy's not even looking at you. And for him, he's lucky. Like, Perot ends up getting hurt. I don't know if they ended up diagnosing him with a concussion or not. I know he needed getting help off the ice. I just, that to me was like Philly flyer dirtbag move who now over there he's probably going to be the king they probably just sold out of his t-shirts yeah and it's just crazy because he didn't have to answer the bell for it which is bullshit because they ended up putting him in the penalty box really quick but at the same time no one saw it because it was that fucking late <laughs> like I, I don't know I, I hope the kid has to answer the bell for that and this, do they play Winnipeg again this year you I, know? I don't know I'd have to look at the schedule I, I mean probably not yeah, because that would have been a very good time. Maybe Bufflin makes a return for one game. Yeah, maybe Big Buff <laughs> comes back. But you talk about player safety, and that to me is just... We've talked about hits and how sometimes there's bang-bang plays and sometimes people get hit in the head. This isn't bang-bang. This is a complete attempt to injure somebody. Th- three games, he's lucky. Very yeah. lucky. And it's kind of like Bartuzzo, where he just got angry at a situation and decided to take it out on somebody on the ice. And that's what Farabee did here. Um, and they said he got three games because he was a first-time offender. I think now is the time. The kid is his first full year in the league. Now is the time to send him a message that this shit isn't acceptable. You don't want him to feel like he can get, can get away with this stuff. And then he continues to do it until it reaches a breaking point like he did with Cook and Ravi Torres and eventually will with Tom Wilson. So this always goes back to, for me, there's no clear-cut suspension protocol. Three games for this guy, no games for that guy, just a fine for this guy. Even though all the hits can be argued that they're similar, there's no rhyme or reason to it. Like... It doesn't matter who's in charge of DPS, whether it's Shanahan. I know it's George Paros now. Like, there's, there needs to be like a structural change to what's done here because it's not working. It just surprises me that George Paros, as being a tough guy and dealing with everything that he had to deal with, is just mm-hmm. bigger guy, enforcer, knew his role, a Princeton guy too, very smart. That. <laughs> he hasn't implemented anything like you said and for for this to just be called a first time offender so you're telling me it's okay the first time is always good the first time's always good and then you know you're here or fucking bissonette on the other thing saying oh well his wires crossed well his wires crossed well you know what at what is that cross on what that's what i don't get and it's like Listen, 
if you're that mad at somebody, fight them. But to completely yeah. blindside somebody like that is bullshit, especially when people talk about the game and the integrity and how you don't want to see people get injured and, you know, respect the game. There's none there. Exactly, and that's why, like what you said with Paros, you're surprised he hasn't instituted anything. That's why I feel like it's a structural issue. It, no matter who's in charge, it's the same issues, which tells me it's a league problem. It's a leadership problem that even goes above DPS. So I don't know if that's Batman. I don't know if it's Daly. I don't know if it's the board governors, what it is, but something needs to get changed here. Agreed. Um. Well, we'll move on to more fun topics uh, besides another near beheading on the ice. Uh, at the end of this decade, which I can't believe I'm saying because we graduated in the first year of this decade from college together, uh, we decided to uh, go and make a starting lineup for the Bruins and Rangers for the all-decade team. So there's top six for the Bruins, the top six for the Rangers, and then I would give a worst top six starting lineup for the Bruins, and Kev would do the same for the Rangers. It's kind of a holy shit, you guys suck kind of thing. I know you had way more to choose from to make a bad starting six for the Rangers than I have for the Bruins. Um, but you can kick it off with your best top six starting lineup for the Bruins this decade. All right. So left wing already brings you to an issue. Because, like, w- w- when you look at the beginning of the decade, just off the name and the man that he was in this town and how we had this town, you look and it's like, oh, Milan Lucic. But now you look and it's the rat Brad Marchand. So it might be a push there on the left wing. Uh, going through the middle, there's no question it has to be Patrice Bergeron. Granted, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm not letting you off the hook with a push. Uh, all right. Uh, uh, I need a decision. Luch or Marshy? I, I will go Mar- Brad Marchand. All right, there we go. <laughs> uh, go through the middle. I mean, it, it's funny to think at the beginning of this decade, David Krejci was known as the 1A center and Berge was 1B. And Berge, because, you know, he played that defensive role and everything else, even though he was still considered the best player on the team. It's funny how that works. And you look at the lines, it would always be Lucic, Krejci, Horton, Lucic, Krejci, Aginla. Marshan Berge, someone, Marshan Berge, Pasta, finally filling in that role. Obviously, Patrice Bergeron. I mean, I don't think there's any argument from anybody there. No, Max Talbot? Uh, Maxime was a close <laughs> second. He was there. Uh, you know, it was, it was just once we sent them down to Providence that, you know, there just wasn't enough time up here. Uh, going with the right wing, it was tough just with. Do you go towards the cup side of things with Nathan Horton? Do you look after it when we end up bringing in the Hall of Famer, Jerome McGinley? But I think you have to say right now, the man, the myth, the legend, Lloyd Christmas himself, David Pasternak. Uh, I mean, do you think he's going to get 50 and 50? I don't I don't know. He's kind of, even though that shot the other night was fucking incredible to get goal number 26 he's what at 26 and 32 now or 33 yeah i think tonight's 33 so yeah so he's starting to tail off a little bit but i would love to see him be at like 48 and 49 and see if he can get a two goal game in the game 50 that would be good to see i'd like to see that um going to the back end gotta go with the big fellas dan ochara been there since the beginning and Raising that cup, I think, no matter what, would always put him at that spot. And then going on the other side, I had to go with Tori Krug. It seemed like mm. ever since he came in to this lineup, he has been a fixture on that blue line, whether it's been offensively, whether it's been, uh, I know the power play is offensive too, but the power play offensively, I mean, pretty handsome guy too, so nice to throw in there. And... I would like to say Tuka Rask, but due to he's been to two Stanley Cups and has not won one of them, I have to go Tim Thomas. I'm kind of surprised. I know towards the tail end, it didn't end all that well, but I thought you were going to go Charles uh, Seidenberg. I was actually talking about Seidenberg earlier, 
And Seidenberg was so good for us until he signed that Peter Chiarelli yep. extension. <laughs> it was like the curse of Chiarelli. So it was like once he signed him to that four and four, that's when it all just went down the shitter. So it was like crap because if we were doing like a whole lineup, I think it probably would have been a little bit more fun because it would be more yep. people to pick and choose from. Because, I mean, Johnny Boychuk would probably be there, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, but I just figure with what he's given us and how he's been, I had to go with Tory Krug. All right. Well, I'll give my all-time worst decade team starting lineup for the Bruins here. Like I said, not too much to choose from. It's mostly deaf prospects that didn't really cut it or aging Fourth liners that didn't work out too well because you guys' chorus kind of led the way for the last decade. So you've had names like Zach Hamill, Brian Ralston a second time around, Ryan Spooner, Jordan Curran. You even had Wade Redden involved in <laughs> a shit show. Zach Ronaldo, Joe Morrow, Simone Gagne made an appearance, Landon Ferra- uh, Ferraro, John Michael Lyles. For the record, I will back Landon Ferraro. When he played for us, he was actually pretty good. And then it was <laughs> he couldn't stick anywhere after that. I mean, I remember Marty Turco making a five-game cameo for you guys in the middle of the decade. But despite all that, my starting forward group at left wing has to be Matt Bolesky. <laughs> at center, we're shifting him back over, David Backus. And on the right side, the big doof himself, Jimmy Hayes. <laughs> <laughs> on the back end, I know it was a... A half-season rental, but Tomas Caberlet is anchoring the left side in a pa- first power play unit. <laughs> he sucked. And he his stay-at-home right-side defense partner is Matt Parkowski. <laughs> uh, in goal. Now, it was hard because you had Timmy Thomas, you had Tuka Rash, you had Anton Hoboden, uh, Halak. So you had a good run for this decade of goaltending. But it was down to Gustafson, but I went ahead and went with Zane McIntyre. Zane McIntyre was brutal because he had such a high ceiling and nothing. Like, just could not make the step. <laughs> and you look at some of the other guys, like you had said, like Jordan Curran. No, I'm actually surprised didn't make the list. Ryan Spooner. And it, I was going to put him on, but it's like, yeah, he helped in a power play before he got dealt. Yeah, like th- that kid, man, he preseason, he would play good. He would come up all the time from Providence. He would fill a role. I think he got buried a little bit with Julien's system and yeah. how he was more offensive. And it kind of, I think it killed him a little bit. But it was like, fuck, man. Like he could have been so good and it just didn't happen. So that one, that one stung a little bit. Yeah, I had to, yeah, I had to go. He was originally going to be my center, but then I was like, I can't leave back as off. And then Hayes, I had to include at least one of the lumbering oofs of the Hayes family on in this lineup. <laughs> Start, only time he started for us in Benny's lineup. <laughs> um, but all right, I'll give my all-decade team for the Rangers. Uh, most of this is going to be centered around the first half of the decade when I went on their little deep playoff and Stanley Cup run. Um, a lot of people starting off with the left wing. A lot of people would probably go with Chris Kreider. Uh, we saw him blossom. We saw him grow up with this team. He's turned into a leader for us. Uh, consistent 50-point guy. But I'm going to go with Rick Nash on the left wing, even though he disappointed many in terms of his goal production. He came here. He scored 42 goals in the season. He was the highlight of the early part of the decade. He was part of the Stanley Cup team. And he turned himself into a two-way fucking monster that helped us get to the Stanley Cup final. I will always remember the fact that I think it was Alec Martinez blocked his shot in an open net in overtime in Game 5. That would have won and sent it back to New York. But Nash is my left wing. My center is Derek Broussard over Derek Stefan. Interesting. And okay, give me more. The reason why I go with that, I know Stefan has, I think he has the most points of any Ranger in this decade. Um, up until he was traded to Arizona. He is a two-way player, all right on face-offs. But he didn't really have, if I'm going all decade, a skill or a temperament that stood out. He was just solid across the board. Nothing wrong with that. But Broussard, in a big game, he was going to throw his fucking dick on a table and 
basically put up a shut up. And big game brass got the nickname for a reason. And if I'm looking to compete against the Bruins all team decade, I'm going with Derek Brassard as my center. Right. On the right side, could have been Marion Gavrick, even though Tortorella ran him out of town. I have to go with the man, the myth, and the hobbit, Matt Zuccarella. Not, not Marty St. Louis? He wasn't around long enough, even though I love Marty. He had that big goal, a couple big goals in the playoffs for us. He was just here too short of a window. It's basically Marty, Zuccarello, Gabrick, and Callahan uh, for that right wing spot. And I just went with Zuc because, in the end, he was the only guy that got traded that made Hank cry. So, you know, he meant the a lot. Bonus points, yeah. Um, defense, this is pretty straightforward. Left defense, Ryan McDonough, captain, best defenseman in the entire decade for the Rangers. On the right side, the man that I wish never got away, Anton Schallman. Yeah, still getting it done. And in goal, number 30, Henrik Lundqvist. Not not Georgiev, just hasn't been around long enough? Uh, you know, I was thinking of going with Marty Biron, but I think he's still looking for his jockstrap in San Jose after Tomas Hurdle scored five goals on him. Was, uh, Marty's actually the goalie that I picked for you guys. So. <laughs> and, and the funny thing is, like, I liked Marty Biron and, like, yeah. hearing him do some comments. Yeah, hearing him do some uh, commentary now makes me laugh, especially, like, the French part of it, like, when he starts going and it, it like, always gives me a laugh. He gets that high pitch. I can't believe that's happening. Uh, it, it, it's always good. Uh, looking at some of your guys over the decade, and it, yeah, it could be tough. It could be tough. Like I remember texting you earlier, and one thing I said was like, "It sucks for you guys because the players that you had there for a while were good, but your buffers were <laughs> fucking brutal." Like yep. looking at some of those lineups, it was like, "Holy shit!" Like Ryan Holwig, Donald Brashear, Aaron Ash. I'm just goons. Stu Bickle, Ruslan Fedotenko, Steve Eminger, like really, yep. and then our boy, the the brown Wade T-shirt, the, our boy Wade Redden, and then the other one too, who just got completely shell shocked. He was playing in the show, and then he gets sent down to Worcester for a Tuesday night fucking Worcester Hartford at the DCU to a complete brown T-shirt giveaway because oh my god, he went from playing at MSG sold out. 18,000 plus every night to about, I don't know, 320 people in the stands, maybe. I was like, yep. holy shit. Like, Torts just put him in the doghouse. <laughs> and I just, I couldn't believe it. I was like, that is insanity to me. Um, all right. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you I love just reliving like that. <laughs> all, all of the shit that the Rangers have gone through this decade. Who's your top six? <laughs> no, 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 that, that was it. I just wanted to rattle off. I didn't want to give you a top six. I, I just, just looking at some of them, I was like, oh, my God. Because on the other end, like I say, the plus sides, Gabrick, Callahan, Strawman, mm-hmm. McDonough, Girardi, Stahl, Nash, Broussard, Stepan, JT Miller, Chris Kratt. Like, the guys that were there a while were good. It was just... Yeah. <laughs> The, the other stuff, yeah, good luck, pal. 2014, that non-goalie interference call on Dwight King will be my laces out, Dan, for the rest of my life. Forever. <laughs> uh, do, do you want to give us a little Rangers Week in Review, or we, we want to skip over that this week? To do well, some, who's uh, your top six? I'm not giving you a top six. I, I rattled off enough garbage. I'm All not right. giving you a six. All right. I actually appreciate that because you're – when I texted you because I was trying to make your all-time worse, and I was like, every year this decade was the same, like, five or six core members, and every year you look at, like, the results page on Hockey Reference. Conference final, Stanley Cup. Conference final, Stanley Cup. Conference final, semifinal. Conference, I'm like, fuck this dude. <laughs> I, I um, actually just wrote here so I didn't have to do a top six. I just wrote in my notes, Rangers Kaka team. <laughs> Um, yeah, Rangers Week in Review. I won't do a full review because I wanted to just hit on this last night. We played the National Predators, and boy, did that shit get my blood flowing because I didn't realize. I know they're in the Western Conference. We don't get to see them too often as Ranger fans. I don't get to, uh, especially since 
I haven't been living in California since the start of this year. I don't get too many West Coast games to watch with the Sharks. I did not realize that there are so many cunts on the Predators. <laughs> and the biggest amongst them is Ryan Ellis, a little shithead with the beard. All game long, the Predators clutching and grabbing and using their stick after the whistle, cross-checking Jesper Fost, of all people, as he's laying on his back on the ice twice in the face, um, I forgot who did that. Ryan Ellis got a two-minute minor, even though Pavel Buchnevich basically chipped the puck up along the sideboards, and Ellis threw, kind of left his feet a little bit and stuck out his elbow and elbowed Buchnevich right in the side of the head, knocked him down, sent him for a concussion protocol test, two-minute minor. The entire team, like, they went after Chuba, and Chuba was ready to just basically annihilate anybody that came near him. Um, they handcuffed the Rangers in terms of playing physically because they gave a 10-minute misconduct to Brendan Lemieux because he tapped Roman Yossi on the back of the leg as they were skating to each other's benches for a TV timeout. So two-minute minor for direct hit to the head with a flying elbow, 10-minute misconduct for a love tap on the back of the skate. Like, I know Lemieux caused a shit, but this is getting out of control with the crap he has to deal with with the referees. He also got a two-minute minor for interference for pushing a defenseman in front of the goaltender as he was uh, standing in front of the crease trying to screen. Uh, gee, I'm so worked up. I'm forgetting the name of Soros. Uh, and he got a two-minute minor for that. Like, he should just change his number or wear somebody else's jersey before he doesn't get these calls. But, yeah, I mean, after that game, I lost a lot of respect for Laviolette, the way he's been running this. I know they've had issues scoring. Yossi is their leading scorer as a defenseman. But the way they're just playing a game, in a way, it seemed like Ryan Ellis was celebrated on a bench, kind of left a sour taste in my mouth. Um, but the Rangers lost that game. They have the next few days off after a long West Coast road trip. Last night was their first game home. And Friday, they play the Maple Leafs at the Garden, uh, which should be a good game as well. But, yeah, I mean, last with the loss last night, it was the first time in, I think, 14 or 15 games that the Rangers either won or lost two in a row. It was win-lose, win-lose, win-lose for about three weeks straight there. So um, pretty much the same role for the Rangers. Kreider got benched and sent to the fourth line in Anaheim over the weekend, and then he played really well against Nashville, so maybe that will finally light a fire under his ass. But, yeah, same old man. Uh, Rangers just kind of keeping their heads above water. Still kind of in the periphery of the last wild card playoff spot especially with the flyers coming back to earth a little bit but yeah that game last night against nashville just really got me going yeah nashville's a very rarely typed spot just they haven't been able to get out of that funk uh 15 12 and 5 uh 5 3 and 2 in their last 10 it's been a tough road for them and I mean, with the lineup that they had, we thought that they'd probably be the kings of the Central again and currently sitting fifth in the wild card spot. So they have some serious ground to make up if yep. they're going to be in that playoffs. Now I hope they don't make it. Fuck them. Wow. All right. Yeah. That's pretty rude. That's fine. <laughs> anyway, Bruins review. Go ahead. Uh, not too much since last time we talked. We recorded last Thursday. Uh, I went upstairs after we recorded and. Of course, I, I go upstairs just in time to watch. Uh, it wasn't Stamkos, whoever it was, bury one top shelf and then take the lead, and then we end up losing 4-2. And then we only played Florida on Saturday, and now we're finally playing again tonight on Tuesday. We're playing um, the Kings tonight, right? What was that? Are you playing the Kings tonight? We are playing the Kings tonight. Currently, okay. third period. We just took the lead 3-2, uh, 17 and a half left. I don't know. This team's been okay. They played all right in Florida on that trip. They've been a little bit of a funk. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. I don't know what it is. Five, four, and one in their last ten. I just think that maybe the boys really need this Christmas break to kind of yeah. regroup and, and just kind of rest up a little bit. But they have tonight. They have Thursday. They have Saturday. Like they have a lot of hockey to play to get to that break, and I'm pretty sure that they play again too on the 23rd. I, I think they played right before it, so unfortunate for them. But at the same point, no, they don't play the 23rd. Although they do Monday the 23rd, they play at they play Washington right before it too. 
thanks for coming so washington can come and smoke us right before um yeah I, I, I just don't know what's going on with them right now i know there's been some injuries just a little flat and i don't want to put it on just martian and pasta for kind of cooling down a little bit but at this point of the year you think that some guys would start figuring it out and it still seems like we're a little gun shy at times when it's clicking it's clicking and when it's not it's not and that's not good like it's one of those things where i would rather this team have to bust their hump and grind out some games just so they know they can because when they start going and they like turn it on they just zoom by guys like that's like oh well we're playing chess you're playing checkers you guys can't keep up but when it comes to actually grind things out now it's almost like certain guys forgot where they came from like brad marchand you know he has that role he is that top line guy he scores 40 goals a year i mean he he does it now it's not like before where you say he has the potential like he he does it and sometimes it's you wait to the whistle and then you see him yapping yeah you're supposed to do that but you know what brad the the game that was just happening why didn't you finish that check so i i just want to see a little bit more from our guys and stop relying on the big name talent like we definitely need some death scoring we, we need a little bit more and we need the guys who are behind it to get it done and i hate to say we need to rely on danton heinen but danton heinen brett ritchie now that he's back in the lineup we need it from him charlie coyle we needed from him and coils look good so nothing against him but we just need some other guys to start stepping up here and uh, fill in these voids. Do you think it could be just you're three months in, it's closer to the holidays, you guys have such a sizable lead in a division that it's just kind of complacency, or do you think it's an actual issue that you might have to keep an eye on? I, I think it's a little bit of both. I, I think they came guns blazing out of the gate and you know, like Brett Ritchie said, you know, we weren't going to go 80-3 and three in an 82-game season. <laughs> But, yeah, I think it's just a little bit of both. Like, because sometimes it seems like the guys want to be there. And then there's times where it's like they just want to turn it on at the end. So, yeah, I do think the complacency is definitely an issue. So, hopefully, they have some games coming up where they're going to have to earn it. Like, Washington, they're going to have to play really good. Like, they played good that game in Washington. They end up losing it at the end. They need to be able to play good Monday night against Washington and even though Nashville's been struggling, Nashville's a good team. Like, uh, they're going to have to play good Saturday night. Oh, and by the way, Thursday we play the Islanders too. So this is a really big three-game stretch right before the holidays. Speaking of playing the Islanders later this week, I figured since we're recording earlier than we had the last two weeks, we kind of skipped over uh, game of the week and locked the week picks. Um, but I figure we can start that up again. So do you ha- want me to kick that off? Uh, th- that's up to you, Mr. Mojo, when it comes to this. You tell me. <laughs> All right, I'll go first. Um, my game of the week pick, just because I think with the lack of defensive structure for both teams, it's going to be a pretty good game between two original six teams. Toronto on the road against the Rangers on Friday, December 20th. I think a nice little weekend game to prep you before the holiday week. And my lock of the week is the following night, Saturday, December 21st. I'm going to go Colorado at home against the Chicago Blackhawks. All right. That's not like a tough one when you got that one out. Uh, I have two games of the week. I have Wednesday night Edmonton at St. Louis. Uh, two teams that have been really good this year. I know Edmonton's struggling a little bit as of late, but still currently second in the Pacific. St. Louis first in the Central. And then the next night on Thursday, you have the Islanders at the Bruins, uh, two teams that are basically in the same exact spot. The Islanders second in that Metropolitan, 46 points. Bruins first in the Atlantic with 48. I think two teams that match up really well against each other. It might be boring to some the way that the game will be played, but at the same time, I think it'll be a very good game. Yeah, exactly. And um, 
My lock of the week is going to be Sunday night, Vegas at San Jose, probably the best rivalry, rivalry in hockey right now. We'll see if Bob Bugner actually has Evander Kane under control or what will happen. Maybe that will just be an all-out brawl before Christmas, and maybe that sparks the Sharkies, and then they'll shove it up my hoop because I said they're not going to do anything. Maybe uh, Bugner is going to lace him up. Oh, dude, he was scary when he played. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I've gotten on a little bit of a warm streak, so hopefully that continues for me. Uh, that's one of my New Year's resolutions is to come back in the standings with that. Um, but for today in NHL history, for December seventeenth, uh, I'm gonna. It's only one today. I'm gonna go all the way back to 2008. Rangers defenseman Michael Rosewall sco- scores on a penalty shot in the second period and scores again in overtime to give the Rangers a 3-2 win against the Kings at the Staples Center. Rosewall becomes the second player since the NHL reinstituted overtime in 1983 to score on a penalty shot before winning the game with an overtime goal. The only other player to do so was Steve Thomas of the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim in April 2003. All right. Who, who do you got for shout-outs this week? Shout-outs this week. I'm going to go, obviously, First Lady. She, I hear her stirring around in the kitchen right now, so looking forward to whatever is on the menu this evening. Um, and this is the last... I, next week, we're off because of the holidays, Christmas and everything, and family, so... I'll just give a shout-out to uh, you for keeping the ship going, and a shout-out to Redder for handling, putting the kids down to sleep on recording nights. <laughs> yes, it's it's been nice, though, having you back on this coast, though, so we can at least plan Earlier, a little yeah. better. Yeah, so on that end, it's been good. <laughs> yes, Big Red, woman is a saint. There's no question about that. Uh, as for, yeah, we'll be off next week, but everybody who is santa uh you're doing great you're killing it uh i hope the kids have a great holiday uh enjoy it It, it's one of those things where as you get older and you look around on certain holidays from year to year and you see that certain people aren't at the table or they're not with you having a drink just know that to enjoy your time with them enjoy it wisely because not everyone's here forever so Words of wisdom from Case. That that's all. I'll just everybody enjoy the holiday. Be good. And, and I should pr- wrap it up, my friend. Yeah, I guess I should just wrap it up there because that sounded fucking good. Um, yeah. Everybody, as always, thank you for listening. Uh, enjoy everybody around you, and we will catch you guys. Maybe we'll drop one right before the new year, Benny. We'll see how uh, everything works out. And I think we should go on one last podcast of the decade. All right, and um. Maybe hypothetically, we'll see. Maybe I'll end up in Queens right before the ball hits midnight, and I could be there to give you a big wet smooch. That, uh, if that happened, man, you got a place to stay for an even longer smooch. All right. Well, I only massage <laughs> tongues with my tongue. So, everybody, thank you for listening, and we will catch you guys right before the new year. Peace. Baby.